Hey, welcome into the Coach Bo Knows podcast here on the Studio Soapbox Network. I'm Coach Bo, Brian O'Connor. We're recorded live at the O'Connor Advisor Group Studios. Check out all things O'Connor Advisor Group at OAGKS.com. You can interact with the show on Twitter. Our handle is at Coach Bo Knows Show. Uh, check out the Facebook page or search for Coach Bo Knows Show. You can t- check us out there. Or you can email us anytime at Coach Bo Knows Show at gmail.com. This is episode 101. After a couple-week break, we're back. And this time I've brought with me the co-host of the Coach Bodo's podcast, the legal counsel, the, she has great legs, but even greater mind. My co-host, the token girl, Ellen Wiggins. How you doing? How you doing? It's up. It's been a minute. Yeah. <laughs> so I, we got. I got to stop with the token girl. You're not a token girl. You're, you're, you're much more than that. I. You know what? Uh, I my notes though, so that's why you know I, I read. I, I still use it when I play fantasy football. It's just, it usually works out okay. So what I will say is that you are by far not a token girl, not just in any way, shape or form, but even in sports, like, you know, dudes love it when a girl knows ball <laughs> and you know ball, like, like a dude does. I mean, it's, I've always been, that's one of the things I've always been impressed with you all these years. Thank you. I appreciate that. Hey, uh, we're going to kind of jump around some stuff today. There's a lot of interesting stuff. There's no real big story outside of the Super Bowl, which I'm not going to talk about till next week's show. Yep. We'll talk about it later. It'll come out. Before. I'll do a Super Bowl preview. And uh, I already got a leaning on where I'm picking, but it'll be fun. So we'll talk about that later. Okay. Um, but what I want to talk about is a couple things. Um, one, I'm talking about your Kansas Jayhawks. What's going on there? Oh. I'm going to let you, you know, I don't do a lot of basketball talk, but. They've kind of brought me in a little bit this year. Some things living here in Lawrence, it, you know, it's hard not to to, to watch. And then uh, I want to talk about this Vince McMahon thing that came out this past week. A couple of other yeah. little things we'll talk about. But, um, hey, let's start with Kansas basketball. Okay. This is your team, your squad, and I'm adjacent at best. It's probably the best <laughs> way I can put it. Um, but I've I've watched more Kansas basketball this year than I ever have. Okay. Uh, I, was at, I was lucky enough to go to the Gambia of Cincinnati at Allen Fieldhouse. Um, Allen Fieldhouse is always an incredible situation, an incredible game to go to. And um, I was fortunate enough about 10 days ago to go to the game with a client of mine. Uh, nice gentleman wanted me to go with him. It's like, cool, let's go. Right on. And, uh, but watching him in person this year kind of confirmed some of the things I've seen on TV. Okay. Like, and well, okay, so. And we recorded this. Kansas just beat Houston on Saturday. This is Sunday yep. as we record. In a game that I thought Houston, and I've said I think Houston, I think Houston's the best team in college basketball. And I and, say that and because, Vegas laid the line in accordance with that. Yeah. And I, I say that because I like their length and their athleticism. I think when you get to a tournament situation, that is, and their coach. I love Kelvin Sims. I think he's a great coach. Um, I think that you put those together, it makes it incredibly hard to match up with them. And that's how you win the weekend in a tournament, athleticism and, and coaching. Yeah. Now, I've seen some things in the last couple of weeks with that team that I was curious and like, oh, shit, I don't like this. Uh, they foul too much late in games. And sometimes their athleticism, they, don't, they rely on it in close games. Right. Yeah. Houston goes to Allen Fieldhouse. They're the favorite in that game, which is rare enough that anyone's the favorite at Allen Fieldhouse. 
but Kev only happened came out. two other times since 1995, I believe. Yeah, and I thought rightfully so. This week, I did. I thought rightfully so. Kansas has not played great ball. Then they played the best game they played all year. And yes, if you shoot 70 percent from the field, you're going to win no matter who you're playing. I mean, that was just insane. Uh, they shot over 70 percent in the first half. Yeah, got that big lead. And once they got the big lead, Houston, again, they're athletic, they're long. But if you're not making shots, even if you get them to come off of 70% down to you know 60 in the first in the second half, you're not going to get back in the game. And Houston could never get fully back in. Having said that, I still don't think Kansas is like, I think they're still a step below. Um, UConn, Purdue, North Carolina, and maybe Tennessee. Okay. I'm not 100% sold on Tennessee. I did pick them against Kentucky, and they beat Kentucky. Beat up Kentucky in that game, too. But um, what I, I heard something. I was listening to Hawk Talk. I actually heard the quote from someone the day after, and then I went back and, and heard it. And I'm going to ask someone I know later about it because he was there. Uh, Bill Self made a comment at Hawk Talk this week saying that this has been the hardest year he's had coaching at Kansas. And he blamed it in short on the way he said it was that not all the players are on the same page with the team, what the team is wanting to do. There's a lot of individuals. Sure. And I felt like that was him calling out Hunter Dickinson. Okay. I, um, I don't disagree. And I felt like when I watched Hunter Dickinson, I watched him a lot at Michigan last year and the year before. Uh, this is a guy that he has an NBA body. Um, he's athletic. He's not fast, but he's athletic. And he plays good defense. I saw him, I saw him three games against Zach Eady last year at Purdue. And he they didn't win all three. They won one of the three, but he outplayed Zach Eady and mm -hmm. really um held Eady's numbers down last year. He's physical with for all three yeah. games and gave Michigan a chance in all three games. They won one of them. Um, and that's not a very good team he was on last year. So I thought him coming to Kansas, this was a match made in heaven, a big. You know, I mean, in Bill Self's time, when he's had a big, KU's been extremely good. Like right. that's, I think that was the piece they looked at and went, if we get a big, we're going to go to a higher level. And they really don't seem to be fitting together. You know, I said that, I mentioned before we started that I thought he'd been disappointed. And you said, well, he's averaging a double-double. I'm like, well, yeah, but he should be averaging a double-double. And it, there's times where he doesn't look – and I don't like criticizing college kids. You know that. But at times, he doesn't get back in transitional defense very well. It seems like they're playing four-on-five a lot. Which is typical back. with a big. It is. But with someone who's athletic, is he think he's going to get back? I, I saw him do that a little better in Michigan. Mm -hmm. Now, Michigan also wasn't as fast as KU. So – I wonder if that's part of it, too. But it does seem like there's not – they're trying to figure some things out. Um, yeah, I went to the game against Cincinnati, and I thought Cincinnati outplayed Kansas. Now, KU won the game, I think, by eight or not – seven or eight or nine, somewhere in that area. Yeah, somewhere. Um, but I thought there was three guys in Cincinnati, and really their four played better. Than Kansas's core, they just weren't as good. Mm -hmm. And what I noticed was that, and I've noticed this when I watched some of the games on TV, they, 
KU doesn't have what, what I call the dude. You know, it was it was Jalen Wilson a couple of years ago. It was Ochai Abaji. Um, You've had guys going back, or even if it was for a season or two, you had the dude. Right. And I think in basketball, you have to have the dude. A dude that when, it's, when things aren't right, you can get him the ball, and he's either going to make some smart decisions or a couple tough shots to bring us back down where we need to be. Okay. To just kind of say, okay, we're not stressed. Here we go. Kansas has always had that. I don't think they have that this year. I don't disagree with that. Um, with regard to Hunter, I don't disagree that he's looking out for his bag. I mean, rumor has it he was pulling down a million plus in NIL coming KU and um, it's going to be hard for any 20 something to think about the fact that if the team is doing well, they will continue to do well from a financial yeah. standpoint. Yeah. You know, high tide lifts all ships, that kind of thing. Yeah. With regard to the dude thing and even Hunter, Michigan played through Hunter. They did. Absolutely. He does not play through Hunter. Well, I think that that, I think that's part of the problem is that I think that I think Bill Self got him thinking he was going to play through. Maybe. And he also yeah. thought he was going to have Arterio Morris too, but then, you know, yeah. shit happens. Yeah. Well, so and, and, is, who was supposed to be the dude this year? Was it supposed to be Kevin McCullough? Was it supposed to be Hunter Dickinson? Was it supposed to be DeWan Harris? So honestly, I would think to a certain extent, Morris was intended to be the dude. Okay. And then all of a sudden you lose that piece because he goes and, um, you know, reportedly rapes someone. Yeah. And then there's a shift. And then you bring in Furphy very, very, very late. Yeah. Yeah. And so it takes a while for chemistry to fit. And you get somebody who's just like, well, according to my ledger, I am worth this and should therefore, you know, do all this stuff for the team and this, that, or the other. I don't know how that all mixes in and it has to be adjustment for coaching staff across the board. That's why we've seen so many retirements over the last couple of years. It's, it's, it's a different thing than what these coaches are used to. But the thing of it is, is that this is the first time, in three years that Hunter hasn't been the dude because there are other dudes around him. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and and I think also at Michigan, he was not just the dude, but also with a coach with Jawan Howard that wanted to run an offense the big. Right. And so, yeah, I think that was part of it. Um, you, as we talk about KU here for a moment, mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned Johnny Furf, who... Yeah. This guy's become a local legend already. Um, he's a freshman, comes in from Australia. Um, you know, I watch a lot of the NBL, the Australian Professional League. I watched two of the games last night. And uh, Johnny Furphy plays like every white boy in the fucking NBL. <laughs> he plays like every athletic white boy. He okay. rebounds. He goes to the rim for rebounds. They, yep. I mean, he hustles to the rim. He shoots threes um, and makes them. I mean, he's a three-point shooter. Can't shoot free throws. 
The whole league is littered with those in Australia. Yeah. And that's what Murphy is. Now, that'll get better as he's here. Uh, he's also young. He's a freshman. That will get better. But, uh, yeah, he is the prototype of what, like, the Australian, like, athletic, for lack of a better term, white kid is. Sure. He, is, he plays hard. And that, especially at Kansas, is going to be well-liked. And he's going to be very popular here for a very long time. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's why he made it into the starting lineup. Um, yeah. Marco was just having some issues trying to yeah. get on the right page. Yeah. Um, McCuller has, I think, continued to astound people on his level up that has been occurring for the last three seasons with yeah. Ochai, Jalen. Now it's McCuller. Yeah. Uh, and he, and needs not- be, he needs to be the guy. He needs to be that guy when when you need a couple of buckets and need someone to take over a three minutes or five minutes of a game. It needs to be Kevin McCullough. And I don't disagree, but I think there's a potential. My biggest issue is not McCullough taking over. It's Dewan Harris not taking over. Yeah. I see where you're going. He's doing a lot more than what he's doing. There were multiple three point shots yesterday that he squared up for and then ended up, you know, trying to drive towards the basket, ended up kicking out. No basket was made. And I wish Wando would just rely on his shot a little bit more instead of being so. Um. So, I don't know. Assist uh, uh, forward, if you want to call it that, because okay. he, I, I, I like that better than what I had. So I was with, having lunch with a couple of buddies this week. We we're talking about it. His name came up in the conversation talking about KU basketball, and the uh, the word that got brought up was he has a fear of shooting. He seems like he's scared to shoot right now. Maybe yeah. it might um, be, but he's always been. A pass first yeah. point guard. Well, that's the other thing I noticed. I didn't, I didn't bring this up pre pre talk, but I I noticed this in a few of the games. I did, now in the game I was at against Cincinnati, it happened a few times. I didn't mm-hmm. watch a whole lot of the game against Houston. I, I saw parts and glimpses of it. I was watching a couple other games, also doing some other stuff. But um, good basketball, you always want to make the extra pass so you can get the wide open shot. You know, to get a better shot. But what I've noticed with Kansas is that sometimes the extra pass has become a bit sloppy. It's like they've had it drilled in their head, the extra pass, the extra pass. So they go to make the extra pass and it ends up not being a good pass. Right. Because it's not necessary. Yes. And then, so sometimes you just got to score. And, yes. And sometimes you're close to being do it. Um, I noticed that in the game against Cincinnati, there was a couple of times where and it was it was Dewan a couple times. Uh, it was Furphy once. It was Hunter a couple times. Where the extra pass, it wasn't necessarily to an open person. And because they're making these extra passes, teams have scouted it. And so they know, okay, well, when Hunter turns his back, when he's on the offensive left, he turns his back, he's looking for the shooter here or here or for someone to cut. And so now the defender cuts under it, and that's a turnover going the other way. No, and 
there were never number of turnovers yesterday. Yeah. Uh, that extra pass being thrown out of bounds because they were anticipating yes. somebody being here. Yes. They weren't here because they moved to try to make themselves more available, yeah. thinking that they were either covering, you know, to go back or to get a rebound. And yeah. this is dumb. I see it a lot with my son's eighth grade team. There, there doesn't always need to be that extra pass. Sometimes you just have to take the shot that's there. <laughs> Especially at higher levels. I mean, yeah. you teach young people the extra pass. And I get it. And look, in, in coaching, I would want the extra pass. That's going to get more open shots. It's going to distribute the ball. makes it harder to defend. I get all that. It, but what I've noticed is that it's created a lot of bad passes. Yes. Which... It's kind of crazy to think, well, I don't want you to pass the ball. It's not what I'm saying. It's sometimes you've got five or six players there that are going, you can score. They all can. Put the fucking ball in the basket. Put the biscuit in the motherfucking basket. Yes, 100%. Um, and so that's that has to be driving Bill Self crazy. He has to be losing some sleep over his team. It, it seems like, you know, he made the comment on Wednesday about that and about it's been a tough team to coach. It's almost like you want to just take them to a playground and say, play all day together. Now, you can't do that. You can't uh, you can't coach them that way. You can't have a, a practice for that one. There's limits to what you can right. practice. Right. What. But God, you really would like to just roll them a basketball and play full court basketball five on five for like four hours. And I wonder you know, too. Give them breaks to stop and, and they stay they stay hydrated or whatever, but just the, for them to get used to how they move, that's what seems to be the problem to me. Is it's more of they're not used to how the other players move. The familiarity isn't there. And I really thought when I saw it early, I was like, okay, look, this is Bill Self's team. Bill Self will clean this shit up and they will be fine. Right. We're in February. Now, yep. look, we're complaining also about a team that's going to be in the top five when the new rankings come out on Monday. So, yes. it's, yeah, I mean, it's what are you going to do? But it is something where I guess the expectation is so high that you go, okay, what's the problem? You know, it's like we've been talking with the Chiefs all year ago. What's the problem? What's the problem? And they're in the Super Bowl. Right. Know, it's, it, it's just because it's not a degrading of a team. It's saying, hey, here's this high expectation, and here's where there's a problem right now. Well, it's going, to commit, will, it's going to create, it's going to possibly keep you from being the tippy top. Sure. And it's a good kind of problem. It is a good kind of problem. And I think to Self's point on Hawk Talk, mm. in addition to NIL and everything else, this is, from my recollection, the largest number of incoming transfers yeah. that he's ever had to deal with. Yeah. So you get Dickinson, you get, um, of course, Furphy's a freshman, so that's fine. You get Timberlake, who has not performed as everyone thought that the, he would based off on his mixtape. You know, you've got Parker Brown, who I think from a fan perspective, there might have been some expectation that he be an older version of CB somehow. You know, there's these weird pieces yeah. on top of that, that regardless, when you have a core that won a championship two years ago. Yeah. 
the chess pieces on the board have changed a little bit. Yes, and the 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 drop off of the the players. You have the core. You have some of the players from that that team, but the players that really won that, they are not there, and you don't have suitable replacements. At least an experience and the level, the tippy top level. Some of those guys were. Yeah, with the exception of Hunter. I mean, but yeah. he, he hasn't made a deep tournament run. He doesn't know what that's like. Yeah, and he really hasn't. Like, I'm not trying to. I, I'm a Hunter Dickinson fan. I was a fan of his admission. So, I mean, let me not get this. Don't. I'm not bashing the kid by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think he's comfortable. I don't think he is either because he's not comfortable not being the dude. Yeah. And but he's he was never going to be the dude on this team. Yeah. I hope it all works out. I'm rooting for him. I'm rooting for them. I'm rooting for him. Um, I do. I I, I, I want to see. Um, I want to see this team work out. As I've been here longer and then getting to know a few people here and there, know some of the guys, <laughs> I know a couple of coaches. Now I'm trying to where or I. I made the joke at home a few weeks ago. 21-year-old me would hate 47 or 48-year-old me. Yeah. Because I'm actually rooting for Kansas, where I never would have before. Like I wore a KU shirt and a KU jacket to the game. And like I literally, Jen was like, you know, you were right when you said that, because I don't think I would have liked it back in the day. And I, like I find myself, I'm actually gonna root for the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. And Thank hey, look, you even that. 10 years ago, me would not have rooted for the Chiefs no matter what. Well, and I mean, listen, they go to Manhattan on Monday, you know, tomorrow night. It's yeah. going to be a tough game. K-State has kind of had some weird things going on over there. Yeah, Not sure what Tang is trying to do with some of this Oklahoma State uh, stealing stuff. But they're... It's going to be obnoxious in the octagon of doom tomorrow. And it could very well be a trap game where again, KU loses to an unranked opponent. Yeah. We'll see. I tell you what, the other thing, my last takeaway on Kansas is um, again, I don't follow the recruiting parts of basketball. I know it for football, obviously, because I'm a football guy first. So I don't have a frame of reference who a lot of these kids are when they come in. Like, I'll hear – I knew Hunter Dickinson because I knew about his time at Michigan. Sure. I saw him play. Um, but I got to tell you, I'm at the game last Monday, and I'm just watching players in pregame, and I'm watching the game. And um, I have a favorite player now, and this kid plays the wrong sport. I am a K.J. Adams guy. I mean, okay, you're so not I'm, alone in saying this. Oh, my God. So – K-Dubs is 6'7", 235. Now, look, he 235, but he he's built like Shannon Sharp. Like Shannon Sharp, like, in the middle of his career. Dude, he's cut. He's yep. got big legs, big chest, big arms. He's ripped. And I'm going, that, I was like, I've heard, I know who the kids are. And I'm like, that kid is incredible. Like, you look at him and go, that's an athlete. That's a, not just a basketball player. And being a basketball player is different than being an a, a athlete in other sports. Yes. You have to be leaner. You have to be faster. K.J. Adams was like he's never missed a leg dip. Oh, he's the only one that fills out the shorts with yeah. his thighs. 
up with his thighs. That's exactly right. So I'm watching him. And there's a play in the Cincinnati game, and he's going for a rebound. And you know, he jumps out the damn building. He's six foot seven already. His head's above, not just not, not like his eye level, his whole fucking yeah. head was above the rim. And I was like, wrong sport. There was, I think he had an alley oop yesterday that it was also like damn near chin above the rim it, slam. I hope that I hope he has a I hope he gets the NBA. I hope he has an incredible career. I hope that whatever he does in life, he's happy with. But I do know that if I was an NFL head coach, I would find a way to bring that kid into my locker room and I would find a way to teach that kid how to play tight ends. In a world where Jimmy Graham and Tony Gonzalez and and uh uh Derek this lively kid from uh like the kid from uh, um the, the Ravens. These were basketball players. Yeah. Hey, look, six seven, strong as a fucking ox, and built the way he is. It could jump. That give me that in the red zone. You know what? You know what Lance Leipold should be doing this year. Lance Leipold should be should be sitting outside his dorm room at McCarthy Hall. Be like, we need kid. What do you need? What do you need? Like going to Coach Self. Be like, let me have, let me have him for just. Let me have half a season. Let me have them for conference. Yes. Let me have a conference games. I mean, just and I'll and tell him I'll only play him in the red zone. I'll only <laughs> play him in the red zone. I'll, I won't, I won't let him catch, I won't let him play between the 30s. I won't let him play near our end zone. When we get inside the 20, let me have. He'd be a matchup nightmare. Yeah. And it's rare you see an athlete like that. Like that that young man, and I don't I don't know him. I've never met him. Um, I'm a fan now. I hope nothing but the best for him. Whatever endeavor he goes into, he is going to be excellent at it. Because if you can take care of your body that way, you can do anything. Well, and I think on, on top of it, he had to deal with losing his mom to cancer this year. Yes. It's a different fortitude that goes with it. I mean, mm -hmm. it was kind of very similar to Thomas Robinson losing his mother yeah. during big 12 play and that kind of thing. And um, I echo your well wishes and it'd be fun as hell to see him just have some dump off in the end zone, you know, back shoulder corner grab two feet, and out, you know, it'd be glorious. So the Cincinnati Bengals should should offer him $10 million a year <laughs> right now and get him as a tight end because you know Joe Burrow could throw that guy. Yeah. They don't have anybody who could do what he could do. That's yeah. I I gotta see it. I gotta see it at least once. That's it's yeah, incredible. It'd be fun. Hey, you mentioned I want to transition here. You mentioned we talked about, you know, the, the, the what Bill Self said, hot talk and the yeah. NIL stuff. Rick Patino made a comment this week as well. And Rick Patino is now the coach of St. John's. And uh they gave UConn a bit of a run this, you know, yesterday on, on Saturday. Yep. Uh UConn's just a better team. They beat him in the end. Um, but here's the quote from uh I'm gonna read this quote. It's Ralph ESPN.com from Rick Patino yesterday. He says, It's a very difficult time in college basketball because it's free agency. And now I think what's going to happen is they're going to say everybody can transfer. And then if they don't like it, they're going to take them on the court. 
it's he was he also had something discouraging to say about the NCAA and the enforcement of how the NCAA enforces rules, which I totally agree with him on as well. The the NCAA is basically a sham now. Yeah, but, it's patchwork for sure. Yeah, sure. and so my thing with this is that we've seen what's happened with transfers with NIL. You know, again, Kansas benefited from that with Hunter Dickinson. They benefited yep. with a couple other transfers. Um, we've seen this now happen. You can change a team in pretty much any sport now as well. Look at football with the University of Colorado did this past year. Yeah. Um, you know, the Heisman Trophy winner in college football was a transfer. Yep. You know, it was it was you know Jaden Daniels was a transfer. Um, we've seen this happen now, and we've seen some coaches retire over the last two to three years. Mm-hmm. We just saw Nick Saban retire. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw. Uh, why am I can't think? Villanova basketball coach Jay Wright. Uh, what's that? Jay Wright. Yes, Jay Wright. Um, and we've seen that these these guys were, I mean, just tippy top level coaches, mm-hmm. but they're frustrated with the way NIL works. Patino just said something. Isn't that the Hall of Famer? Now, there's going to be a portion of people who are just going to write that off, and they're going to say, well. You're mad because the players are getting paid, but you liked it when you were the slave owner and you were the one who was the only one who was being paid. There's absolutely a little shade of truth in that. 100%. But what's also a problem is that now how do you build a team? Like we were saying with Kansas, how do you get everyone to come together as a team when the individuals, and it's, you ask that about professional sports, and we see it as a problem in professional sports sometimes. Sure. And not every dream team comes together and is good. Yeah. You know, um, you know, it's gonna happen with the Dodgers. I don't know yet, you know. But you see these things where it's like, okay, we bring the personalities in and the coach is gonna make it very hard. It's even harder at the college level because you're dealing with 18, 19, 20-year-old kids. Mm-hmm. It's not a 30 or 28, 20, 30 year old professional. Who's been doing this for you know five six years? This is now, right. you know, free agency with eighteen and nineteen year old kids mm-hmm. who have been told if you're that level of a player, you've been told your whole life you're special. Yep, you're the best player in your city. You were the best player when you were in youth ball. You were the best player in middle school. You're the best player in high school. You went to every clinic and you were the best player. Yeah, you've been told you were special the whole way. Yeah, And then you go to college and part of the college experience and how those players that end up becoming tippy top professionals, part of that is you have to have a little bit of a humbling. There comes a time where you have to say, well, maybe I wasn't the best player and the iron sharpens iron of being around better players. Yeah. But then as this has now changed with NIL brought in, and again, I'm a person who thinks that NIL is a good thing because these players are getting paid, and they're getting paid for the work they're doing. Right. But what it does do is this transfer portal makes things different. It hurts. It's going to hurt coaches. It's going to hurt how coaches administrate and coach teams now. And we're going to see guys, we're going to see more retire. We saw it with Nick Saban. We just saw it with, and we saw it with Jay Wright. We've seen a few others since then. I mean, sure. You know, how long does a Bill Self want to uh, want to coach? We just saw Boston College's head coach just left the being the head coach at Boston College to go be a coordinator in the NFL. Well, 
That's because Boston College sucks from a coaching. No, it's perspective. because he's looking at it going, I can't be competitive in NIL. How can I be competitive with a team? I'll go sure. to the NFL and be a coordinator, and I can be a head coach in a few years. Here is my counter argument. The first five years of NIL are going to be a complete shit show. Absolutely. We've seen it in the first two. We've yeah. got three more years to go. Once there are more standards, collectives, rules, statutes, whatever, okay. that will help form some certain things. And the coaches that stick around will find that they can not only sell the NIL, but they can sell the overall team experience. Okay. And it's those coaches that can do both who are going to stick around. So Tom Izzo is a coach that a lot of people have thought would struggle during NIL. His team hasn't been great Mm -hmm. this year. Michigan State has struggled from a basketball perspective. I could see him honestly waiting it out for a couple more years before he retires to see if it comes to that kind of fruition. It is not... I do not believe it will not be just a dollar and cents thing for much longer. It is, it is going to be more of a selling of a brand of a school, a program, a coaching staff, because more kids will understand that when their team does well, they will do better financially. I agree and with right that. now, I think that's kind of outside of what some yeah. of these kids understand well, right now. I think it's almost like there's going to be two classes, though. You're going to have we the are, are, file, and you're going to have the best, you know, the best top players. So here's a question I have. This was brought up to me by a friend of mine. I'm going to give him a shout him out. Brad Hill, a good friend of mine here in town, electrician here in town. We were talking. Um, and he said this to me. He's like, he wanted my opinion. And I was like, I don't know. This is the tricky part to end on he says, okay, let's say you get a player who is, you know, a five-star recruit. And in the end, he chooses, let's say he's a football player that chooses Kansas over Missouri. Mm-hmm. Just for argument's sake, this is local yep. teams. And he chose Kansas over Missouri in the end because XYZ businessman or business is going to sponsor him, going to give him a sponsorship of a half a million dollars. Yep. If he goes to Kansas, but he couldn't get that same thing at Missouri. Mm-hmm. So, again, that's fine with me. I have no problems with that. This is the point that was brought to my attention, and I really didn't have a good answer for it. What happens? XYZ Company is sponsored this kid. XYZ Company is a sponsor of Kansas football. Mm-hmm. And then that kid's not performing as well. And mm-hmm. Lance Leipold decides, I got this other kid who's a better player right now. Probably a better fit for the team. And yep. I'm gonna play. Now you have the business relationship with the player and with the team. Mm-hmm. And how does that work out? That how becomes that... more like professional athlete. It becomes more like professional. Exactly. It's and it's it's some kid on a one-year contract. It really is. And I, I don't have a good way to, to fix that, so to speak. Why does it need um, to be fixed? Well, 
but well, yes, I think the way it does because then culture's playing for his job, and his job isn't dependent on bringing in money. It's about winning games. Uh, it's both. Yeah. Well, in the end, if you win, you bring in money. People will advertise. They will spend money. Companies will go with you if you're winning games. It's both now. The yeah. coach is, has to sell. Yeah, the coach is the CEO, and he's and he's doing the fundraising as well. But the hell, a lot easier to do that job when you're winning. The winning takes care of absolutely. Him. Yeah. So if the coach makes the decision that hey, I can't play this kid right now, or there's something going on, how does that affect that other part of the business? And, and I don't know how often this happens or what's going to happen, but we're going to see this at times and it's going to become more like professional sports. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's mm -hmm. just, it's a new, it's a new set of problems. It's some people are college sports fans because they don't like the professional pieces of, of basketball. I'll give you an example. There are more college basketball fans who dislike the NBA. Fully Down agree. south, there's more college football fans than there are NFL fans yep. because they, they dislike some of the free agency or whatever. Well, and they don't have teams. And we don't have teams down there, too. That's true. Um, but you look at it and you go, okay, well, it's a valid point when you look at the idea of it's a community, community team. Because the university is kind of a community team. It's not, it's not owned by... There's not a billionaire who owns the team. Because um, you can blame a billionaire. Look, I'm blaming the Benson family right now for all the shit going on with the Saints. And it's why I'm not rooting for them. You know, it's my hometown team. Right. It'd be different if that was LSU. I wouldn't blame LSU for, you know, a system that a, maybe a coach does. It's different kind of blame. I The people who don't like, and the, the one I see the more is people who like college basketball but don't like the NBA. Because so, of the way they're paid or whatnot. Now, does college basketball become more like the NBA? And will that make some of those fans go away? If they do, they're ignoring what's been going on for 50 years. I would not disagree with that. I, yeah. There's been under the table. There's been golden handshakes. That's, that's all happened for years. Absolutely. And now that it's all above board, you yeah. can't choose not to see it. I tend to agree with that, yeah. And, you know, people are still harping on the KU FBI Adidas stuff. Yeah. I mean, you think about Kelvin Sampson. He got a no-show, you know, no-cause ban from coaching for texting some kid too much. Yeah. yeah. These things are just building to what they're going to be it'll be a bigger question i think if any of these lawsuits around players being deemed employees and being able to create unions that will be a bigger issue than all this nil stuff and i think honestly some of this is going to level out and die down again over the next three to five years because everyone will have figured out what they need to do. And there's going to be a striation between the big five and everybody else. And that sucks. And then it's a question of, okay, are we going to create something that's more yeah. 
equally available to everybody. Well, what's going to happen? Like you were, you to your point there. Yeah, if you're a college football, college basketball squad, you're going to have to, and you're going to be in these four conferences next year. We don't have, you know, the the, the uh, Pac-12 anymore. We're down right. to four conferences. If you're in those four major conferences, you're going to have to make the decision that you're now going to treat men's basketball and football like a business. Mm-hmm. And if you are, then you're going to have to. And if you and if you don't, if you don't want to treat it that way, if that's what your community and what you decide is part of what you want to do, then you're you have to live with the fact you're not going to be competitive moving forward. And granted, these two sports have been the revenue generation sports for yeah. decades yeah. for every single school that are in yeah. the major conferences. Yeah. And there are there are exceptions. You'll see. I mean, there's talk about you know, Iowa basketball, women's basketball right now is making money because of Caitlin Clark, and you know, um, a few, right. uh, South Carolina men, women's basketball. Those there are a few exceptions, but there's the rare exceptions. Right. Some schools have gymnastics. Some schools have yeah. softball. Some have baseball. baseball. Yeah. I mean, you could some be have anything. wrestling even. Yeah. And so, yeah, but I do think that you're going to have to see these schools are going to have to make a commitment. Now, again, I'm in Lawrence, Kansas. You're a KU grad. Kansas has has made the commitment. They've said, no, we're going, we want to be good at men's basketball and football. It's important. Mm-hmm. They've made the commitment. It's a business deal now. Yeah. And that's going to throw some fans off. But it's that's just the nature of the beast now. That's just something you're going to have to accept. You know, well, we do a we do a lot of and you and I are both nerds about this, especially me, um, the sports business stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just going to be more sports business is what it's going to be. It will be. I just think it's it's naive for people to claim that it hasn't always been a business on some level. I agree with that, too. And I think that so the question becomes, have those fans just been naive fans all this time? Yes. So I, I just wanted to ask about this, you know, because like, I had a great conversation with some buddies about this week. And then Rick Patino's co- comments yesterday, I thought, ooh, let's chat about this. Last subject I got for you. This is going to be, you read it, right? Did you read the whole I did thing? Not, I did not read the complaint. I okay. have read and heard okay. various stories I, about it. I read the whole complaint. Okay. We're going to, people don't know what I'm talking about yet. I'm going to explain it. So, um, Middle of last week, so this would have been late last week of January, um, in the WWE, uh, there was a civil lawsuit now against Vince McMahon. And in this 67-page document, it lays out where he basically hired, I don't even want to say that he he did, he hired someone to come work for him at the WWE. As and an what he was basically doing that, was right? sexually, it was basically sexual assault. It's, it's assault, it's um grooming whatever you want to whatever devious names you can think of in this sex trafficking trafficking i mean yeah trafficking it's this has got to be the most horrible thing i have read in sports i I think in history i i read all 67 pages i read the text messages in there um there is no defending this man look i have someone who has defended him as a business person many times you know, he's not a good guy. We knew that. And I've openly said, I don't think he's a good man. 
but he was a great businessman. Great promote, but this is disgusting. Yeah. Cool. And it is very clear now why the WWE headed by Nick Khan made rushed into this deal with the UFC to build the TKO company, the new company they are now. Um, it is very clear because this is just fucking disgusting. Uh, I'll, I'll, let me pull up. I mean, that's why they brought on The Rock. They needed a new face yeah. to rebaptize these entities as more wholesome than what they are. But, I mean, WWE, AEW, I'm sure, to a certain extent, these have all been cesspools for years. Yeah. Among their talent, among their you know, executives, it has not been great. No. Um, so the original story broke on the Wall Street Journal back on the 25th. Mm -hmm. um, I implore you if you're interested to go look at the, at the article on the Wall Street Journal. Um, the headline is Vince McMahon accused of sex trafficking by WWE staffer he paid to keep quiet. Uh, the young lady's name is Janelle Grant. Um, in her suit, it's against a 67-page suit. I've read the suit every page of it. Um, McMahon pressured her into sex, sex with him while with other men, yep. sex with other men in the business. Um, basically, he was, for lack of a better term, pimping her out. Yep. And um, it comes where the way they met was that she lived in his building in Florida, in the building he lives in there, uh, Florida, in, in Connecticut lost her parents and someone she knew there told Vince the story that this woman's going to lose her home. And she's gonna, and he was like, well, let's meet. And he was going to help her. And now helping her was this. Um, it's really disgusting. And and I will say, if you do read through it, uh, you might want to avoid the text messages because there are some absolutely disgusting accidents. But in, in it, what it sounds like happened was he thinks I'm a billionaire. I can do it whatever I want. And then, and this is what people do, I guess, at this level of disgustingness. Well, um, I mean, Trump is a prime example of this. Yes. There, I have said for a while that Vince McMahon is basically Trump with a, a little, little bit of likability to him. But now he's like that, like, it's clear what TKO was doing when they made this deal quickly. They yeah. knew this was coming. And Vince has now had to leave the board of directors. He had to leave his position that he did have, which was pretty powerless now anyway. Yep. But that isn't the point. The point is, is that this multi-billion dollar company, which he had a big ownership in, they're going to divest from him completely at some point very soon. I would imagine they just brought the Rocky and like you mentioned, they just brought the Rocky in this past week yep. to, uh, to basically fill Vince McMahon's seat on the board. Yeah. Um, paying in $30 million to do it. But um, it, it's, no, I, go ahead. It's disgusting. It, 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 in essence, what he did with this woman, I mean, things like, I'm going to describe a couple of things. He had sex with her. And again, Consenting adults do what they consulted adults. This doesn't sound like he was very consenting. 
Then he started having three waves with her and another man where she wasn't really down with this, but she was afraid of losing her job. He gave her a job at the, at the WWE. And this was Even, another WWE executive. Or another employee. executive. And he, okay, he's named in the thing, John Laurinaitis. So if you watch the show, you know who he is. He has been the head of talent relations behind the scenes, and he's been on television before. Um, that is one of the one of the two people that they were having threesomes with. The other one was some kind of physical therapist of Vince McMahon's, who is not named by name in the in the uh, argument or in the in the uh, complaint, the accusations. Um, then there was things like he was trying to set up her on not dates but just sexual intercourse with other executives and with someone listed as a former UFC champion who was not under WWE contract at the time and was trying to be and Vince was trying to bring back if you draw the conclusion that person is Brock Lesnar and that this person, so I guess Vince reaches out to Brock and says, this woman will do anything you want, Brock. And so supposedly he said, what do you want her to do to prove it? And Brock says, I want her to do a video of something. Uh, I'm not going to get into what it was. She did it. Again, Vince is holding over her job the entire time. Things like Vince taking her to his office and having intercourse in his office with her. Um it's just disgusting. It's disgusting that anyone's treated this way and that Vince McMahon or anyone else thinks because they are a celebrity, not even as a celebrity, but just because they have the money and the celebrity, they can get away with this. You mentioned the name earlier, Donald Trump. It's the same kind of thing. Yeah, and the thing that continues to bother me about this is... So Sean didn't know anything about it. Stephanie didn't know anything about it. Triple H didn't know anything about it. There are a whole lot of people who enabled this to occur. And it, given the other NDAs and settlements that have gone on with other women. This thing should be shut down altogether i'm sorry there is no reason for wwe to continue yeah so again i don't disagree with that thinking um what we have seen in the past 18 months when that first thing happened with vince mcmahon when he got booted out this is before this i mean this was other stuff and there's other stuff coming as well from what i understand as well um nick khan was brought in as former agent at caa uh, he became the um, the CEO of the WWE. Um, Triple H, Paul Beck, is now the head of creative. And they are with TKO. They they were the ones who made the deal with TKO. Um, but when Stephanie McMahon left the company about a year ago, and Hunter, or Triple H, Paul Beck, had his heart issue, Vince McMahon fired all of Paul Beck's guys all his creative guys. You fired them all and put his guys back in. So when we see the quote-unquote execs, it sounds like it was some of, it 
we don't know what Hunter and Stephanie or Nick Khan knew specifically. This has but been going on a lot longer. We know that they, we do know that they knew something because they've been trying to move this old disgusting man out of there for a year and a half. Initially, the thought was Nick Khan was being brought in to broker a deal so Vince McMahon can make a boatload of money. Well, right. now it looks like he was actually brought in because Vince McMahon was going to end up going broke because of NDAs or um, or going to go to prison for doing something shady. And it was, it was like it was Hunter and Stephanie that went in and said, we got to bring this guy in if we want to keep this business at all and try to fix some of these things. So I, I do see where they're trying to fix some things or fix the everything in this case. But the problem is, as long as that old man is has anything to do with it, you can't... There's definitely a morality piece to this. It's just oh, like yeah. it's, it's So th that's a question I heard someone else say this week. I, wanna, uh, I, I heard Brian last on Jim Cornette's podcast talk about this. You would think, just get rid of the WWE. Sell the assets, close the company, and put it. But there comes a business part to this where you can say, oh, wait a minute. What if we had the opportunity to take what's obviously valuable and do good with it and do to run it in a correct way? That certainly seems to be what they're doing now by bringing in The Rock, by making the deals they've made, um, distancing themselves in every which way. And again, I think they're going to make him fully divest sooner than later. I think it'll be weeks, not months that they're going to make him sell the rest of his stock and fully divest. Um, he's already been put in a situation where a few months ago where he had to sell a portion. Right. And he is the one executive in the TKO contract that is allowed to sell, not just allowed, but being encouraged to sell his equity in the first two years. Nobody else could. Vince McMahon was specifically named in that. That's clearly because of this and whatever else is coming. So they knew. You're not wrong. They knew. And they knew some shit was going down. And they were trying to divest themselves of that, like any business would. Sure. But the enabling thing you brought up earlier is important to understand, too. Well, and it's, it's not like Stephanie and Hunter have only been involved for a couple of years. Yeah. They You're have not. been involved for decades at this point. Yeah. Um, if you want to go full conspiracy theory, Linda McMahon, his estranged wife, was in Trump's administration as the head of the Small Business Association. Yes. The idea that this can all be hand-waved and they can bring in the rock to make it pretty, I think, is uh, a little Pollyannish. Okay. Because it... It isn't only top down. There have been multiple reports and lawsuits and accusations among the talent of abuse and exploitation. Yes. So this isn't just Vince being Vince. But it does seem like the things that have been public and even things that have not been public that are rumored, mm -hmm. it does seem like it is Vince-centric. Or Vince and John Laurinaitis is another person that was brought in on this. There, I think there was a reason that 
people like Jim Ross left their company. I think there was a reason that someone like Bruce Pritchard was brought back to their company by Vince McMahon. Uh, it's one of his, it's one of Vince's guys. I think that the Hunter and Stephanie thing, there was a reason Shane McMahon's been gone for a decade and then came back and left again. He didn't like this Dallas deal. He saw it. There's a lot of rumors about that going on right now, too, that the reason that Shane was left 15 years ago was because of his father. There's been talk that since there has been a strange relationship between Vince and Linda McMahon, that there's also been a strange relationship between Stephanie McMahon and her father. Um, so why didn't anyone do anything? Do anything about it? The fear that the old man had all the control. Don't care. Why no, didn't somebody it, do it, something it, about it? You're right. It doesn't make an excuse. You, there's no excuse to be to, it's right, it's correct. Especially when you're talking about sexual assault, trafficking in this case. I mean, that's a big term you get to that. And that it's happened over and over and over again. You brought up the point. We talked about this offline. If this came out and in the in the 67 page uh article, it says the reason this got out. Vince made a deal. Vince had her sign an NDA. He's gonna pay her three million bucks. He makes it was gonna pay over three payments, mm -hmm. is my understanding. He makes the first payment for a million dollars. And just like Vince did when he bought the territories, he tried to weasel out. This same it's thing happened me. in the 80s when he bought the he bought each of the territories. He made the initial payment, then fuck it. Well, he thought he would do it this time, not pay her the second payment and think it would just go away. And she said, no, this ain't going away. Now you've broken, you've broke the NDA so I can speak. Yeah. And to, um, to her credit, she's come out and, and talked about this. And I think that it's, I think it's important. And I think that it's, um, yeah, good on her to come out and say, this is what happened to me. Cause there's some damn embarrassing stuff in here. And I will say that if anyone's trying to defend Vince McMahon on this, so again, it's indefensible in my view, but um, Janelle Grant, again, the person who brought this lawsuit out, there are things in here that are embarrassing, disparaging, and it takes a lot of courage to come out and say these things happened. Absolutely. And that's going to be very difficult on her for the rest of her life. So I hope that, one, I hope she wins this case. I hope she wins millions of dollars. But that's not enough. It, it's it, it's got to help other people. And it's got to end what this man did. Because if this got out, what hasn't got out? There's rumors. And I've heard a couple of the rumors. There's one about a particular female performer that he had perform on him in front of other executives, his team, those same people we brought up earlier on the WWE jet and supposedly just paid her off. Sign an NDA. Here's a couple million dollars. Go away. I, I have a real problem with this and it's not just Vince McMahon. It's Donald Trump. It's, it's whether it's Epstein, whether this happens um who was the direct the the, the film guy um i can't think of with the prison um roman plansky 
No, no, not Robert Plant. The one who um oh god damn, now I can't think of it. But oh Weinstein? Harvey Weinstein. Harvey Weinstein. Again, men in power taking advantage of women without mm -hmm. power. And it's just disgusting. And I wanted to bring that up and I wanted to talk about that because as much as I'm a fan of the WWE, I have been a fan of Vince McMahon as a business person before and thought, man, I, what he did and how he changed things in that industry was pretty remarkable. But that doesn't mean you get to do that. That doesn't mean you get to treat people the way you treat people. That doesn't mean you get to do incorrigible, illegal acts. Mm -hmm. And just because you have money, you pay them off. And yeah. that, it disgusted me. I do hope that the WWE can move forward. I, I do. I know you were all about, fuck, let them go. Well, I think they're making the decisions they have to make. Um, you know, I saw the after Survivor Series press conference and Triple H did his best to not say anything without not saying anything, but it wasn't very good. Uh, it wasn't full on Tony Khan, but it was close. <laughs> hey, there's rumors about Tony Khan, too. Nothing to this extent, but there's rumors of Tony Khan, too. And yeah, you never know what's true, what's not. But I don't think he's as depraved a human being as Mr. McMahon's. When you've been given a blueprint, it can be easy to follow. Yeah. And plenty of money to back him up. Yep. So I just, oof, yeah. Um, I'll come back and talk actual wrestling in a couple of weeks. We'll do something on that because this is actually the fun time for wrestling this year because the Royal Rumble just happened and WrestleMania is coming up. This is actually the, the fun time. Now The Rock is going to wrestle. Did you see that? Uh, isn't he going to be in the WrestleMania main event? Yep, they confirmed it on Friday night. He's going to hit Hemmers with Roman Reigns. And there's a whole big controversy. Uh, the most disliked YouTube clip in the history of WWE. Mm -hmm. The one that's been disliked. You know, you get the thumbs up, thumbs down. Yep. Um, is the clip of The Rock. Uh, the, the bringing out The Rock to face Roman Reigns from Friday night. I 400,000 400, thumbs down votes when I saw it this morning. It's a little sketch. You know, it's um, fans are mad that it's him in that match, not Cody Rhodes. Oh, okay. And they're they're upset with how they did it. Too, they had Cody come out and say, "You know, there's you're here. We're going to do it this way." Instead of him, because he already said he was going to take the match with Roman Reigns, and since CM Punk got hurt, they're going to move him into CM Punk's get match, and then that makes the Rock. Supposedly, the Rock and Roman Reigns is going to happen later in the year in the Saudi show. Also questionable and they moved, alliance. Oh, and they moved it. Well, it's, it's TKO. I mean, that's not just WWE. UFC works them too. So, yeah. I guess they're making more money off of that show than they do off WrestleMania. Of that's course they do. The Saudis just throw, throw they money. Under their money everywhere. Um, reminds me to bring this up, and I'm going to do some more looking before. I... What's the deal with the Saudis not buying, uh, live not buying the PGA possibly? Or just not merger, maybe not going through. Have you heard I, I just heard something briefly this week. I saw a headline that there's an injection of $3 billion coming into the PGA Tour. Yeah. But I don't know what the consequence is around the live 
PGA slash whatever yeah. tour is also attached to it. I haven't yeah. read. I haven't dig deep into that yet. That's kind of the next project. I just finished what I was going to finish on Shohei Otani and talk about that. So uh, I'm going to do that by myself this week because that one's interesting. I would Go also ahead. like to mention, and uh, just a little food for thought, given that we had talked about this offline as well, about the tax consequences. Japan, at his earnings bracket, he'll pay 40% yeah. in income. Um, I'll give you a little quick preview. I did all the work. Uh, there's two reasons that Otani agreed to do this. One, he already makes 50 million a year. Um, yes, Clay lives, Cliff is going to live in California. So not only are you paying federal income taxes, you're also in the state with the highest tax bracket for the highest earners. Um, so that's the issue. So the controller's office from the, from the state of California has now gotten involved saying, well, wait a minute, you're just taxable. And so there's like a, a suit. Well, how do you, how do they sue him to say you're avoiding taxes when it's a private contract? So then I went and looked, what is, what would be his tax bracket in Japan? It'd be much lower than what he pays, what he would have to pay living in the state of California. Uh, how does that work out given that his earnings on the back end would exceed the one? The highest tax bracket in Japan that tax bracket is lower than the highest tax bracket here. And it, when you include the California state taxes, it is. It's I'm, not equal, equal federal, federal. It's about right. about equal, The Japanese are a little bit higher. But when you include the state of California specifically, Otani is going to save like $100 million in taxation. I would be curious to see what you were looking at because – I may have been looking at something completely different. So it, the, they use a flat tax based upon income, and the highest earners get taxed the highest levels in Japan. 40%, it, yeah. It's slightly higher than the federal levels here in the United States. But when you include state taxes, now this wouldn't have been an issue, and they probably wouldn't have done this. probably would have been less of an issue if you lived in Texas or in Florida. Or well, because a couple those of are... They don't have personal no income state tax. income taxes, but in California, he's the highest level earner in the highest level state income tax. In the end, those ten years of deferred money, if he got paid while being a resident in Japan, he would pay less taxes. But who's to say that maybe ten years from now, Shohei Otani's permanent home? isn't in Florida, isn't in Texas. That's what they did. They did a lot of this to be flexible tax-wise. And I think the Dodgers did it because they're not just the, the baseball part of it is they don't pay the luxury tax. They can bring more people in now. But then sure. also they know that they, they believe that their team will be worth more in 10 years. And so paying him on the backside will be worth it. Hmm. That the income they're going to receive over the time. Supposedly just the revenue and advertising in the first three years, the additional revenue that Shohei Otani is bringing to the Dodgers will equal what he is going to get paid for his full contract. 
So if you're the Dodgers and you get the three up three years up front in three years, you can put it back, make money off it. They're owned by a, I mean, they're owned by a big company, mm-hmm. and they have they have their own financial company. They own they own security benefit. So. Yeah, that's the same security. It is the same company that we all know and love from Topeka back in the day, but they run that thing completely different since they bought. I know, I know. Yeah, that's a completely. I heard the story of how why they bought Security Benefit, and they bought it. it Still makes me laugh. Yeah, they bought it for pennies of the value it was actually worth, and then, I mean, you know, they they needed a they needed a bank, Mm -hmm. and they didn't want to buy a bank, so they bought an insurance company. And it works. So, yep. yeah, even with the, you know, with the Department of uh, Insurance rules and what you have to have for cash, it was better than buying a bank. It was actually a pretty smart deal. But, yeah, they run a company totally different. Um, and that's for someone who works in that industry and actually does some work with them occasionally. So, um, well, I guess you just work there. So, you know, yeah. it's. It's going to be interesting. The, the Otani thing I'm going to talk more about. It's when I laid it out. He's if if he just if he lived in America for the next ten years and moved to Japan in ten years and back home, he was still going to net out more money. But if he stays here, as long as he doesn't live in California or New York, he's going to net out more money. And look, he just he all he has to do is establish residence. He's got ten years to establish residency wherever he wants to. Well, and that's the question is because he's going to be paying dual tax until yeah. or if that happens. Yeah. He'll establish residency. And look, it's going to be in Florida or Texas. And when he Tennessee. does, Tennessee is one of those. There are seven or eight states don't have mm-hmm. the two that people tend to focus on are Texas and Florida because they're the bigger, they're the two biggest states. I think right. Montana is one of them. Either Montana or Idaho doesn't and have state income taxes. Could be Idaho. One of them. I can't remember which one it is. I could pull it up, I guess. But one of those two don't have state income taxes as well. Yeah. I think it's Montana. But yeah, I, the whole thing was very fascinating. When I pulled the numbers up, I was like, oh, well, this made sense for him. Sure. And that was the thing is, how do you defer that much money? $650 million. You know, but he wasn't going to get $650. So he got a premium. On what he was going to get paid, he got like an extra hundred million to basically defer it. And so you you think about the interest piece of that, you know, the future value of money, and then the fact that he already has plenty of money and is making plenty of money. Oh yeah, he he's come out. Shohei Otani is going to be a very very wealthy man, like him, Patrick Mahomes, a few others that are going to be billionaires in a few years. He's gonna be one of them. Yep, agreed. Yeah, we gotta. I gotta make a list sometime of who the billionaire, who we think the billionaire athletes are gonna be. Because right now it's only two. There's just Michael and LeBron. Magic is getting close. Magic will get there sooner than later. Yeah, he's part of that private equity firm. Yep, exactly. Yeah, he's hmm. made some lot of shrewd business decisions. And then he partnered with that big private equity firm. They are the ones you're paying to show it. Yep. And now he owns part of the uh, commanders. Yep. That firm. So, yeah. And they hired a coach. Did you see that? Yeah. I did. I did. You see the, so um, on that piece, so um, the commanders hired 
Um, Goddamn, I can't think of his name now. I ain't gonna pull this up. Damn it. That's what I get for not being uh, ready. Commanders <laughs> uh, <laughs> hired uh, Cowboys defensive coordinator. Yep, the DC uh, uh, Campbell. Who I, who I thought was going to go to Seattle because he been Dan Quinn. Quinn, that's it. I thought Dan Quinn was going to go to Seattle. They didn't. They chose somebody else. And uh, but I was talking to Tyler Jones about this. We were talking about so we we recorded on Wednesday for his Thursday show, and Thursday's when it came out that Dan Quinn was going to hired. He said, "Do you think Dan Quinn will go to because he's not going to Seattle? Which I think he's going to go to Washington." I said, "I do," but I think the first thing he ought to do is keep Eric Bieniemy in the offensive coordinator. And Tyler's like, that's really Tyler about the same thing. I'm like, yeah, you keep Eric Bieniemy, especially Dan Quinn being the defensive guy. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing that Cliff Kingsbury has turned down the Raiders' offensive coordinator job. Yep. Which I would have taken that job to um, be, possibly become the Commanders' offensive coordinator. And I think they picked second in the draft. Let me get this. I want to make sure I get this right. Now after the Bears? Uh-huh. I want to make sure I get this right. I, I, they were second or third. So, yeah, they are second. So, Cliff Kingsbury had previously worked years ago with Caleb Williams. Yep. Does that mean they would want to maneuver something with the Bears and book one spot? Or... Does Cliff Kingsbury like Drake, Drake May? Who I promised that I was, I promised um, Tyler I would go watch some Drake May film. Because I don't see what everybody else sees in Drake May. Just watching him live. Just watching him live sure. on television. I haven't seen it. But, uh, oh, I, speaking of the draft real quick, <laughs> one I think it's fascinating. They might go one and two, although I would not take Drake May right now. And then that means the, the Patriots at three have a couple choices. Uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. will be sitting there. Mm-hmm. Marvin Harrison Jr. will be better than Drake May as far as a player. But I have a, a reoccurring nightmare, Ellen. And I, had, I told Jen this a couple nights ago. What's that? I've had the same nightmare three or four times in the last week, two weeks. I really want to be a Saints fan again. They've extended Derek Carr, so they don't get me for two more years. Okay. But this is not about the Saints. It's about the Saints and my hatred of the Falcons because of being a Saints fan my whole life. I, This is scaring the shit out of me. My dream is Roger Goodell is at the podium and it's the eighth pick in the first round and this is the line that I hear. With the eighth pick in the 2024 NFL draft, the Atlanta Falcons select Jaden Daniels, quarterback LSU. <laughs> Ellen, if he's there at eight, there is no chance they pass him by. Zero. How are you going to feel rooting for the Falcons? You know, the thing is, is that you can't go with Saints to Falcons. You just can't. Do it. I mean, that's that's going to hurt. That's him. <laughs> uh, that's why it's a nightmare. It's not a dream. It's a nightmare. That is the nightmare scenario. Okay. Um, our Saints keep fucking up. They, they extended Derek Carr this week. I know. They reworked his contract. They got him for two more seasons because Mickey Lewis is not a work salary cap. So I'm begging 
the Patriots or the Giants or the Titans, please take Jaden Daniels so the Falcons <laughs> can't get him. I'll buy your jersey. I will go buy a Jaden Daniels Patriots jersey, a Jaden Daniels Giants jersey, a Jaden Daniels Titans jersey. Or if the Broncos would trade up, I would have loved that. Um, you know, the Saints aren't going to trade up. They're just not creative enough to do that. I'm scared. We have until April. And this nightmare is going to continue till April. April, whatever. Yeah. All right, let's get up out of here. I've enjoyed it. Thanks for taking the time today. Uh, we'll be back. I'll be back later this week. We're doing the show here with Tiny episode later this week. Um, it'll be a short one. And then um, Uncle Rico is going to come in. I think do Super Bowl preview with me. Yep. Since he loves him some 49ers. He loves Brock Purdy. Boy, he loves Brock Purdy. We were texting during that game. And I don't see it. I, I don't know what film everybody else watches, what game everybody else watches, but I totally disagree with like all the talking heads on ESPN about him. That I think Cam of all people, Cam Newton is the one who's right. That's a game manager. He didn't bring them back and win that game. He, he got made play. He made he made like four plays that thirty out of thirty two quarterbacks in the NFL can. They'll say they like Ryan Clark, who I like Ryan Clark on ESPN. He'll he'll show. Well, look at this throw and look at this throw. And I'm like, dude. Take the best throws from any 32 quarterback, 32 quarterbacks. You can see that. He's supposed to make those throws. Right. You know, we don't talk about the pass that was 50 yards down the field that was caught the biggest play of the game, but it was caught because he underthrew it by six yards, hit off the defender's face mask because he was so <laughs> shocked the ball was there. And then someone makes an incredible play to catch. You can't get Brock credit, Brock Purdy credit for that. Fuck that guy. Oh, the Chiefs beat him by third. Let's hope. <laughs> well, we're back a couple times this week. So, hey, let's uh, let's wrap it up here. I want to thank uh, E. Thanks for coming in and doing this today. Uh, thanks for being flexible this weekend. We're going to do it yesterday. Do it today. Sure. Appreciate you. Uh, thanks, Tyler Jones. Everybody at Studio Soapbox for all you do behind the scenes. Hey, catch the Tyler, the Jones Report with Tyler Jones. I'll be on there every week through the Super Bowl and for a couple weeks up to a draft. Just talking football. Um, kind of nerd out with football stuff on there. Uh, most importantly, thank you for you listening. Don't forget to rate us and review us. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get this, we appreciate every five stars. Until later this week, I'm Coach Paul Brian O'Connor. It's Ellen Wagenture. Have a great week. Remember your time token to not Take care. Everybody.